Well, I would like to show you a gift. This is a gift that I did not receive this Christmas. Actually, I received it a good number of years ago. But I wanted to show it to you because uh, for me to tell you a story that I want to share with you today, I thought it would be an important thing or just a really good thing for me to put this on and to show you this present that I received um, in the last church that I served in. Eleven Christmases ago, the church I served in received about 20 families as refugees. They came to Canada from the country of Burma, the jungles of Burma. And as they arrived on one Christmas day 11 years ago, they walked into the church, some of them still barefoot, but all of them dressed like this as they walked into the church. There were about a hundred of them that arrived. They came in speaking no English and sat down, but they knew the tunes to many of the Christmas carols that we sang. They were translated into their language as well. The people were called the Karen, a tribal community from the jungles of Burma. They had experienced persecution in Burma, and they fled to the Thai-Burmese borders. There are still some hundreds of thousands of them living on the Thai-Burmese border, waiting for places to go with refugee status. And the families that we received had spent about 10 years waiting, just waiting in refugee camps until some country might receive them. Canada, 11 years ago, opened its doors to about 2,000 of them. And in the city of London, Ontario, and in the church where I served, the city, we received about 100 of them. And all of them had Baptist connections. They are called the Karen people. A good number of them became our friends, close friends. And uh, they are a small tribe of people that have their own distinct culture and language and legends. For more than 2,000 years, the Karen community has passed down through oral tradition a story called The Legend of the Golden Book. It was a story that they remembered. Even the children knew this story because their parents told it to them. As their parents told it to them, this story had been shared for 2,600 years, as best we know. From one generation to another, they had told the story, each of them remembering this story. And here's the legend. God had three sons. A Karen son, their Karen community. But God also had a Burmese son. They lived in Burma. But God also had a white son. God had three sons. To each of these sons, God gave them a golden book. And he told them to take good care of this book because it was something that they were to treasure, because in this book were the words of life. And then, after God gave to each of these sons the golden book with the words of life, God left them and went away. As the years went by, the Burmese son was negligent in the care of his book, and his golden book was lost, and it was never to be found again. 
One day, the Karen's son went out into the jungle to work. He set his golden book down on a tree stump, and he left it as he started to work further and further into the jungle. The rains came down, and because of the horrible downpour, because of the distance that he was away from the book, he too was negligent, and he lost his book, and it was never to be found also. But for more than 2,000 years, the Karen people believed that one day the white sun would return. One day, and the legend went, one day the white sun would return with, on white wings, he would come. And he would bring the golden book, and he would tell them the message that was in that book once again. Now you have to fast forward the story to the 1850s when the very first Christian missionaries arrived in Burma. A Baptist missionary by the name of Adoniram Judson, have you ever heard that name before? Went and arrived uh, in Burma. He was the first to lead the way. When the Karen people saw the large sailing ships, they thought of the white wings. And they saw someone coming on white wings. They saw a white man getting off of the ship. And as he came off the ship, he carried a book. It was a Bible with the golden gilded pages. You know, the old Bibles, how it would have the golden gilding around it. And as he walked among them, the Karen people said, tell us this message that we have forgotten for 2,000 years. We have forgotten it, but remind us what it is. And when Adoniram Judson told the story to the Karen people, instantly they believed. Instantly they received the message of Christ. And there are a few million Karen Christians today because of Adoniram Judson arriving, this Baptist missionary arriving in the 1850s. And our church in London, Ontario was blessed because of the ministry of Adoniram Judson some 150 years before then. Well, I love that story. It helps me to remember the Karen community and uh, to remember how they found their way to Jesus Christ. I have a question for you. How many ways are there to God? It's not a trick question. How many ways to God? What does the Bible say? One. That's right. There is only one way to God. It is through Jesus Christ. There is only one name. It is Jesus Christ. There is one name, one person. It is Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins, the one who has promised to be with us, the one who will one day set all things right. Now, the second question, though, how many ways are there to Jesus? This is also not a trick question. The Bible teaches there are many ways to Jesus. Paul found his way to Jesus on the Damascus Road. Timothy 
found his way to Jesus through his mother and his grandmother. The Karen started their way to Jesus through their ancient story of a golden book. And in the scripture reading this morning, the Magi found their way to Jesus by pursuing a star. Well, for those who follow the church calendar more closely, there's some in more of the traditional churches that follow the calendar of the church very closely. This coming Saturday, January 6th, is the beginning of what is called Epiphany. It's a church celebration that marks the visit of the wise men to see the baby Jesus. Now, the word epiphany means to show or to make known or to reveal. And um, on the very day that Jesus was born, the shepherds in the fields nearby came to worship him. Some days later, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Old Simeon, you know the stories, old Simeon and, and old Anna, they're in the temple and they see Jesus and they know that this is the Lord's Messiah. And the Messiah is revealed to Simeon and Anna and they praise God as they see the baby Jesus. And then sometime later, Mary and Joseph witness three visitors coming from the far-off nations, coming to their house. Can you imagine that? Coming from far-off nations, coming to their house, seeking Jesus. Here it is, the epiphany. God's presence is revealed not just to those nearby, but God's presence is revealed to the nations, to all the nations around now think of this, the Gospel of Matthew is written, first of all, for a Jewish audience. But Matthew wants to show that Jesus is the King of the Jews, but King of all the nations as well. Look at chapter 1, and you see the genealogy of Jesus. And um, the genealogy includes outsiders, outside of the line of the people of Israel. It includes Moabites and Amorites that are also in the genealogy saying Jesus is for all the people. Then in chapter 2, Matthew includes a story about Arabian or Iranian visitors that come from the east to worship the baby Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 27, you get to all the way to the very end, Matthew tells the story about another foreigner an outsider, another one, a Roman centurion, the very first person after Jesus died to say, surely this person was the Son of God. Think of the Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so this New Testament book with a decided Jewish flavor reveals that this king is for all the people. Scripture reading tells us about King Herod. The scripture reading tells us about the three kings and the scripture reading tells us about King Jesus. Now, Think of the three groupings of those kings that we read about in Matthew chapter 2, the scripture reading. First of all, King Herod. Before becoming a king, Herod led his army 
in ten different wars. Herod sided uh, in one war with Antony and Cleopatra. And when they were overthrown, or when Antony and Cleopatra were overthrown, he quickly reached out to the new Roman victor, who was Caesar Augustus. It was Caesar Augustus then that granted Herod a secure throne, and he was appointed the king of the Jews. Herod fought hard for his kingdom. In all, King Herod married ten women, but he was continually suspicious of them. And his sons, two of his favorite sons were strangled by his own orders. He became suspicious of one of his wives, Mariamne, and then had her killed too. Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor, he knew Herod quite well, and Caesar Augustus said it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son because it was a dangerous life to be one of Herod's kids because Herod was always suspicious, thinking that somebody was going to take his throne away. As powerful as he was, he had a very miserable end to his life. You'd think that as a king and having all this power, he should end it in glory with his family gathered around him, loving him and being in such a beautiful place. But at the end of his life, he was very ill. His feet were covered with tumors. He had constant fevers. But more than that, he had suspicion all the time of everyone around him. His very last order before he died was to arrest thousands of leading citizens from across the country and sequester them in the stadium of Jericho. Then upon his death, he commanded that they would be executed so that there would be mourning in the land when the king died. Herod knew that no one would weep for him, so he wanted somebody to be weeping at least at the time when he died. And fortunately, this command was not carried out. So when, I want you to then back up now and think of the scripture reading, when the Magi came to Herod and said, excuse me, sir, can you tell me where this new king of the Jews is? You can understand why that scripture reading says, Herod was troubled. I mean, that's an understatement. Herod was troubled, and then it says, and all Jerusalem was with him. You see, when Herod gets mad, things happen dangerously. Herod may pretend that he wants to worship the king. You know the story now. But his true motives are quickly revealed. He flew into a rage and ordered that all boys under the age of two in Bethlehem must be killed. Historians now suggest that anywhere from 30 to 60 baby boys were killed. And mothers and fathers were in inconsolable grief. The news of another king made Herod paranoid, terrified, because he would not let his kingdom be taken away. Well, you know the story. There was no sword for young Jesus that night. 
But 33 years later, it was nails and a spear and a sword in his side where he brutally gave up his life. King Jesus is born in the presence of an evil king. Matthew tells the story of Jesus coming to rescue people in a broken world, in a world with sin and violence. But God didn't wait until it was safe to enter our world. God brings good news in the midst of the slaughter of the innocents. God brings good news wearing a crown of thorns. And if the gospel can flourish there, then the gospel can grow here. The gospel can grow here because God is present where the pain is. Christ is here to bring good news and he wants to bring it to you in your lowest place. He wants to bring it to you in your deepest struggles. And he is not absent there if he comes to a place where he is born at the slaughter of the innocents and he dies with a crown of thorns. King Herod, you are not the king. King Herod, you do not rule. But what about those three kings? How do they figure into the story? More properly, these wise and learned men were called the Magi. In the scripture reading, they're not called the kings. They're called Magi. Um, and that means they were not Jewish. They were pagans. They were from another country. They were from a far off land. The word Magi is closely connected to what English word? Think for a moment. What English word? Magic. Magicians. That's right. Magicians. Now, the question is, were they... There are two English words that we have. Were they astronomers? Or were they astrologers? But in the ancient world, you know what? Those two things went together. Those two things were almost side by side. They were interconnected. We know this too, that they were wealthy. Um, they could afford a long journey. And they were motivated seekers ready to undertake this journey to find the new king. Imagine, here are the magi. They like looking up at the stars in the sky. They're stargazers. And a new star appeared. And somehow, we don't know why or how, but somehow they knew that that new star that they saw was a message that there was a new king. And if they followed it, they would find the king. So they followed the star. Now you know this too, that the Old Testament forbids bowing down to the stars, right? To worship anything else other than the one true and living God. It forbids it. But these are stargazers and star chasers. And think of Psalm 148, verse 3 where it says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, 
all you shining stars, even this one bright star in the sky was giving the maker praise, praising him. So they followed this star. But why did the Magi go to Jerusalem then? And why did they go to the king in Jerusalem? We don't know the answer to that question. Was it a polite protocol simply to come to the king? To say, okay, now we've arrived in the general area. We need to come to the king because the king's going to know where the new king is who's been born. Or did they lose track of the star for a little while and get disoriented and they needed to get reoriented so they went to the king? Whatever the case may be, we don't know why, but they asked for help to find the newborn king. And the guide that put them on the right track was Scripture. They saw the star in the sky, but the thing that really helped to guide them along the way, the next step, was Scripture. And as quoted by Herod's advisors, it was Micah 5.2. And Pastor Richard has referred to this verse already with prophecy. But we need to look at it again because this was the verse that guided them in a more detailed way even than the star. Micah 5.2 was the compass that rerouted their travels, pointing them to Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, just this small town, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You see, it's all pointing to Jesus. But I want you to notice, when you read and when the scripture reading was given to us from chapter 2, as much as the story focuses on Jesus, what's intriguing is that the name Jesus is never mentioned in chapter 2. Seven times. If you look at it, actually you might even want to underline that, seven times he is simply called the child. Go and see the child. They bowed before the child. He is not called by any majestic name, but by a very human word. A child is weak. A child is vulnerable. A child is helpless. A child is, is dependent. Yet look at the two very different responses to the child. There are only two responses to the child. Those who seek to kill him and those who seek to worship him. Some of us might say, well, well I just I take a middle of the road response. But, but in this story, those are the only two options that are given. King Jesus does not force his way in. He is revealed but he can be missed. He can be avoided. He can be ignored. But he comes into homes and he comes into hearts where he is welcome. King Jesus enters humbly into the world. But this does not diminish his call to your bended knee. King Jesus has no equals. For at the name of Jesus, 
every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, there we are looking at this passage now in Matthew chapter 2. And I just wanted to look at three questions now, maybe to drive it home in terms of thinking of some applications for us. Applications, three questions. First one, and, and, and these are questions that you might be thinking of already. Certainly the first question, what gift will I bring? What gift will I bring? The Magi, they were overjoyed to see the star. They found their way to the house They bent their knees before the child and they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, fit for a king. Frankincense, often considered a gift for deity, but an aromatic spice. And myrrh, a gift for a human being. A gift that is used at the anointing of Jesus at his death. One one other little side note, when I was reading about the usage of myrrh, it's also used for diaper rash. So maybe used for baby Jesus at a very early stage as well, but a gift for a king, a gift for a deity, a gift for someone who is human. Children were asked, what would you bring baby Jesus? And here were some children's responses. I would give Jesus a lot of money, a big sheep, and a balloon that reads, it's a boy, says Perry, age 11. Uh, If I had been one of the wise men, I would have brought a pillow and a blanket because Jesus might have been cold, says Jordan, six. Um, I would bring him a friend because friends are fun to play with, says Lori, seven. If I could give Jesus a present, I would give him as much gold as I could find. But I can't give him anything to pay for dying for me, says Kevin, age 10. There's a song with lyrics like this. What can we give to the king? Give to the one who has everything. Give him a heart that's opened up wide. A love that's got nothing to hide. A love that's tender and true. What gift are you going to bring him? Maybe for you, it's the gift of some time. 2018, 10 minutes every morning. Lord, I just want to be still with you for a few moments. But what will you bring him? What will you give him? Third, the second question, how far will I travel? What gift will I bring? How far will I travel? How far did the Magi travel? Well, we don't know. We don't know the exact answer to that, but what we do know is they came from a foreign land and it may have been hundreds or it may have been thousands of kilometers. But whatever the distance, they were ready to invest great effort to find the newborn king. They spent great amounts of money. And now I want you to, to imagine that this is also a dangerous journey. You know that there is a connection between um, the English word travel and the English word travail, right? To go into labor. That that there is a historic understanding that to travel is not this getting on Air Canada. But it always implies danger. 
to travel a long distance. But they are giddy with excitement on their travels. They have made an uncomfortable journey with dangers en route. Now contrast this with King Herod. How far is King Herod from the king of the Jews? How far are the advisors from the king of the Jews? Eight kilometers. Okay. A good afternoon walk. Yet they could not be bothered to pour the energy into making the trip. How far will you travel? God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. We read, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There are two things that we carry with us. It's like we have this knowledge in our head, but we also have a hunger in our hearts. And guess which one God rewards? He wants that hunger in our hearts. It it seems like some people were so close to Jesus, but they made no move towards him. Others were far off and sought him out. Can that happen even to us? Can that happen to those of us here in the church that we we kind of think, oh, I'm so close, but we, we don't make the pursuit because we think we're close. And other people are far and they're searching far and wide. Here's the good news. Wherever you are, you are not too far from God. He is not hidden. He is revealed. Proverbs chapter 2 says, And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver, and you search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. How far will you travel this year? Will you make your pursuit a serious one? And then the third question. I think this is a wonderful application question. Just as I think of this story. Is is this. Will I shine like a star? The Magi followed a star. But Paul says in Philippians 2. Verses 14 and 15. Here's a beautiful verse. Do everything. It's, it's here up on the screen. Let's read it together. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Isn't there something beautiful about that? That if a star can point people to Jesus, then you and I can also point the way to him. That in fact, we also are a way to Jesus that we can be pointers to him. The one criteria, isn't it interesting? The one criteria in that verse of being a star is to do everything without complaining or arguing. Maybe that's the plan for 2018. Mark Buchanan writes, See, God intends for you to be the star of Bethlehem. 
in a crooked and depraved generation. We're to be this light shining in a dark place that when people follow us, they find Christ. You can shine like stars in the universe. So here we are. We're coming up to this time called Epiphany. Jesus is revealed. He's revealed to us. He's revealed to the nations. Jesus is revealed to the world around us. And the glory of the Lord is revealed. And now we too can shine to reflect that glory. Will you join together with me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of Scripture. We thank you, O God, that we can come to know you and that we come to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. There is no equal. There is no other. There is no other one. And we thank you that, you can, that we can come to you through Jesus, your Son. We thank you, O God, for this beautiful day that we can come and worship you. And on this coldness, may we experience the warmth of your presence here in this place. And we give you thanks. And we give you all the glory. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen.